What's going on, everybody? This is Tanner Lee, host of the Kicking Out Podcast, and I'm thrilled to have with me uh, New York Times bestselling author multiple times, Keith Elliott Greenberg. People probably are familiar with uh, his book, The Day John Lennon Died. Wrestling fans are probably familiar with his uh, co-author work of the WWE Cyclopedia of Sports Entertainment in 2016 and 2020. He also wrote biographies on Freddie Blassie, Ric Flair, and superstar Billy Graham. And what we're going to be talking about today, Too Sweet Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution. If you haven't read this, folks, please go out and get a copy as soon as you can. You will not regret it. Keith, how are you doing this evening? Great. I'm really happy to be here. Ah, happy to have you have you join us. You're our first official interview. So how about that? <laughs> I, I think when um when COVIDCon took place, I uh I debuted. I was the first person. Do you remember COVIDCon? It was a um a, an organiz a, a, a gathering of wrestling authors at the height of the COVID lockdown. And I think I was the first one interviewed that day. It went on for about 72 hours. Wow. Yeah. Start off with the best right away. Kenny Casanova organized that, if you know him. Wow. I I did not know about that. So that's interesting to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to begin, how how and when did you become a pro wrestling fan? Uh, Probably at birth. Okay. Uh, I I was... um, uh, you know, I'm a third generation wrestling fan. My grandparents were immigrants from the former Soviet Union. They were true believers. Um, they were not educated people. They believed that they were watching actual fights. I remember my grandmother and her sister hollering about calling the police because Bruno San Martino was being Pearl Harbored. I can't remember who the perpetrators were. I think Cowboy Bill Watts may have played a role in it. So um, it, it was always around. That's fantastic. Uh, who were some of your favorites growing up? Well, uh, classy Freddie Blassie, who I had the honor of uh, co-authoring his autobiography near the end of his life. And I knew him for quite a, a long time, but I got to really know him in an intimate way. I was I was even in the hospital with Linda and Shane McMahon the day before Freddie Blassie died. And I considered it um, a privilege to get that close to him and his, and his wife, Miyako. Um, Bruno San Martino, of course, was uh, one of my favorites. He was the working man's hero, and he really was. And in an era when people truly believed what they were watching, they looked at Bruno San Martino as the embodiment of their father or their grandfather, an immigrant who'd uh, suffered the slings and arrows of a more privileged society and could overcome the giants who were trying to undermine him and ultimately thrived. So those were among my favorites, of course, as the years went on and I was affiliated with WWE, I developed many other favorites. Uh, Terry Funk might be my favorite wrestler who ever lived just because of all the, uh, the, the, the boxes he checked as a young man. He was, uh, you know, the amateur technical wrestling type. He was good enough and tough enough to be an NWA heavyweight champion. And later on, he developed this persona as the crazy middle-aged man and the hardcore wrestler. And, uh, you know, both as a baby face and a heel, he became one of the best promos the business ever knew. 
And so I would I would put him at the very top. Uh, you know, Randy Macho Man Savage, there was just a profile of him on A&E. And it made me remember how much I admired watching him in the ring. But look, there's great wrestlers now. I think that Roman Reigns' current persona is, is, is fascinating. And I feel the role. That, I was just thinking about this this weekend. I feel the role that the Usos are playing. You know, I grew up watching the Samoans always playing savages. And now there's real storytelling and depth and emotion in, in that presentation. And it's great to see members of that Anoa'i family doing that. And of course, you know, I love, I love watching AEW every week, uh, you know, and there's, you know, great talent, like a guy like Darby Allen, you know, who has really come into his own during, during this period. And, um, you know, we, we see people like Jungle Boy, who I was watching on the Indies when I was working on the book. And then it's great to see a guy like Miro win the TNT title recently and, you know, uh, kind of get his due after paying his dues for so long. Absolutely. And just listing all those names, it just reminds me how blessed we are to be pro wrestling fans right now with all the options we have to watch different organizations and different companies. And I know we kind of briefly mentioned this when we, before we press record, it's, seems like it's such a toxic environment between wrestling fans out there on social media, at least. Well, you know, I read things on Twitter where people are bashing AEW. I, you know, I thought AEW would be the upstart mm -hmm. and that these, you know, heelish fans would stand behind AEW against the big conglomerate WWE. But there are fans who seem to be offended by the notion of AEW. And yeah, there's some great wrestling on AEW, and at the same time, there's great wrestling on NXT. Yes. You know, I during the the past summer, I went to a show, a Warrior Wrestling show in uh, outside of Chicago. Uh, you know, on a football field, and the guys who were in MSK were wrestling as the Rascals on mm -hmm. there. You know, and the, and they were with they were in the ring with Alex Zane and with Benjamin Carter. Yeah, they just blew, you know, there wasn't a house, it was outdoors, but <laughs> they blew the sky away. Mm -hmm. And to see like, you know, five of the six guys I saw in that six-man tag team affiliated with WWE now makes me feel very hopeful for the future. And it's certainly, I'm certainly happy that NXT is now on a, on a separate night from uh, AEW so I can enjoy both. I think it's great for all wrestling fans. I mean... I mean, yeah, they're both great products, and now we can watch them on separate nights, and we don't have to worry about which one do I want to DVR and record tonight, and which one do I want to watch live. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it, it's funny. I'm I'm currently writing another book about uh, pro wrestling in the time of COVID nineteen. It's a sequel to Too Sweet Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution, and you know, I when I was first commissioned to write the book, we didn't know there was going to be a pandemic. Sure. And um, then all these uh, occurrences from outside the wrestling world and influence on the wrestling world. But I say in the first chapter, 2020 was supposed to be the best year to be a professional wrestling fan. And maybe it was like, maybe, you know, despite everything, all the challenges, all the cancellations, all the lockdowns, the, WrestleMania held in the empty performance center, 
maybe it's still a great time to be a wrestling fan, particularly now when we're seeing, you know, the, the industry the, little by little starting to come back. There's still a lot of great indie talent out there. Fortunately, we live in an era where a lot of those guys told me they were able to generate some revenue by selling merchandise online and going on Patreon. And, um, you know, that's fortunate. You know, these guys didn't have to, you know, put up, you know, put their homes for sale or get rid of their cars. And, uh, you know, they continued to train. Some of them trained alone. Some of them took a risk and trained in rings with other wrestlers. And, uh, you know, they're still standing there. You know, you go to these promotions like I was at, you know, when I, WrestleMania week, you saw these promotions like GCW, you know, at the, at the collective, you know, beyond wrestling, um, you know, and all this talent is there and they're just, you know, ready to show their stuff. And those guys are all going to influence what we're going to see over the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, that's well said. And I'm glad we're finally, it looks like the lights at the end of the tunnel for, for this pandemic, at least in the United States. And the United we're going to, yeah. In the United States, yes, definitely not, definitely not globally yet. But uh, we're starting to see crowds come back, and AEW, of course, is going to have Daly's place at capacity of fifty five hundred come uh, May May thirtieth for Double or Nothing. Um, did Did you get a chance to go to WrestleMania this year? I did. You I did? did. I went to both nights of WrestleMania, right. and I wrote an article about my experiences for Inside the Ropes uh, Wrestling Magazine, which is a great magazine out mm -hmm. of England that actually came out during the pandemic. And, um, you know, during a time when everybody was going inward, these guys went outward and they said, I think there's a certain type of fan that enjoys that experience of getting a print wrestling magazine in his or her hands. And so I, I write a, a monthly column for those guys. And I was there both nights and the first night there, there was nothing I felt that WWE could do wrong. People were just so relieved to be at a WrestleMania again. It was almost dreamlike. It's like, am I having a, a fantasy? And it's not really happening. Mm -hmm. Even though, and it was raining, and people, you know, went indoors. They 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 went inside the corridors, and then they came back out. You know, the second night they were booing certain uh, storylines they they didn't enjoy, but there was a great main event. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the, when I when I left both nights, fans were absolutely ecstatic. Interestingly, the first night. I met a group of guys when I was walking out because Tampa does not have a great mass transit system. So I had to walk a good mile before I could get an Uber. And uh, they were not weekly wrestling watchers. I guess you could characterize them as lapsed fans. Okay. But they enjoyed themselves at WrestleMania. And they said, you know, at this stage, they would get together for pay-per-views like they, you know, most likely gather for a live pay-per-view and sit in the audience. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to watch Raw and SmackDown every week anymore, but they're not done with wrestling either. And I guess there are plenty of those fans out there as well. Sure. I mean, I guess at least they're watching in some capacity. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people who might not watch every week or might, might only watch WrestleMania or SummerSlam, they might think that the popularity of pro wrestling is pretty down, but I don't think that's the case. Well, you know, look, I, I mean, Dave Meltzer's the guy who knows the numbers. Like he's, sure. you know, you ask him about numbers and he can just spout them out. Um, 
obviously the average person I meet is not watching every week. Mm -hmm. Even when, when AEW comes up, they know there's another promotion. They heard there's another promotion, but they're not necessarily watching it. Um, sometimes they'll go, really, Chris Jericho's with those guys? But the people who are watching are very dedicated. And I know this from working on my next book. Um, they're, uh, you know, uh, they're dedicated enough to uh, contribute to these guys' uh, livelihoods during the pandemic by buying merchandise and going on Patreon and, you know, uh, patronizing them on YouTube. So mm -hmm. I'd say the fan base that's there is a pretty dedicated fan base. And as all this new talent comes in, that means new fans and new characters who are going to seize fans. Absolutely. I think, I think you're hundred percent correct there. So, so now getting back to your book, what motivated you to want to write about the indie wrestling scene? Um, you know, I was, I've, I've co-written a bunch of books. Uh, I've co-written a bunch of wrestling books and, um, you know, I've written several true crime books and, and other books and, um, you know, I like having sometimes my name solely on the cover. Sure. So it's like I want to do a wrestling book by me. You know, I, I, I'm very happy in the future to tell other wrestlers, you know, wrestler stories and do co-authorships again. But I wanted something that was my book, my perspective. And when I was at WrestleMania 34, I believe it was WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. I was walking around and I saw a lot of Bullet Club shirts. And it's like, that's interesting. This is technically a WWE event. And there's another type of movement going on where these people who've come to WrestleMania, they've come to support WWE. They also are fans of something else. And a lot of fans of something else. It's not like you see a random shirt. There were lots and lots of Bullet Club shirts. And I spoke to Michael Holmes, who's the executive editor at ECW Press. He and I had worked on a couple of projects together already, um, one of which was not even wrestling related. I co-wrote a book with uh, Tom Steven, who was the drummer in the Jeff Healy band, which was an enormously popular band in Canada. And I said, you know, there's something going on here. There's a movement going on. And he said, I think you're right. I noticed all those Bullet Club shirts as well. And we said, well, maybe it's time to do a book about indie wrestling. Because now it's no longer, you know, on, as much on the fringes as it had been. It, there is a movement and the movement is building. And we agreed we didn't know where this movement was going to go. But we knew that it was building to something. And by the time I concluded the book, there would be developments. Of course, n n neither of us realized that that development would be the creation of AEW. So I was very fortunate that, you know, the book ends with um, a GCW, Game Changer Wrestling Show, in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And at the end of the show, Jungle Boy, Orange Cassidy. Um, hold on. Jungle Boy, Orange Cassidy. Uh, who are the two other wrestlers? Marco Stunt. And, uh, and Marco. What? Marco who? Stunt. Marco Stunt. 
they all get in a car and they drive down to the um to the first AW taping, the mm-hmm. premier AW Dynamite. And that's a good way to end a book. It's like, okay, the next chapter is about to begin. And from that moment on, I knew I had to write a sequel. Of course, I didn't know that the sequel would involve wrestling during the age of COVID-19. Yeah, I love the way the book wrapped up and it made me want more. And I'm sure that was your intent. And so I'm glad to hear that you're working on a, on another another sequel. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so how difficult was this book to write compared to, say, a biography about a professional wrestler? Well, when you're doing a biography, you really have – and you know, they're, they're both challenging in different ways. You sure. have to tell somebody's story, and um, you have to get that story out of them. And you also have to protect them a little bit. Because, and I've, I've had this experience, not just in wrestling, but in true crime. I wrote one book with a detective in Akron, Ohio. And he's like, I go, are you sure you want to criticize the police department in that way? He's like, I don't care. Everybody agrees with me. Ask any of the other detectives. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you the same thing. But when that book comes out, you, you, you're going to generate a lot of heat. Sure. And so... You know, you you co-author a book with somebody, and I think part of your job is not just to get people excited and sell books. You have to realize this person has to live their life after this. And if it's a wrestling book and they want to trash their peers, well, now they have to exist backstage. If they want to talk about um, infidelities in their marriages, even if they've confessed to their spouses, now. That's a book. Now everybody knows. So you always have to be conscious, conscious, in my opinion, of the impact that these words in a book, you can also, it's even different than online because forever, you know, 25 years from now, you can walk into a library and that book is going to be there and you can open it up and go, really? He felt that way. Um, Whereas doing your own book, it's on you. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to tell the entire story of indie wrestling because there's hundreds of indie promotions. And I make that pretty clear in the beginning of Mm -hmm. the book. Um, What I was trying to do was create a snapshot. And I apologize, I think, in chapter two to all the people I didn't get to. Um, And then I wanted to tell it in my own voice as a wrestling fan. And, you know, I was on retainer for... WWE's publications for 22 years. And obviously, you know, nothing lasts forever. And when I lost that retain that monthly retainer and ultimately the WWE's uh, magazines folded, yeah, I was sad. And I felt like I wasn't really part of the wrestling business anymore. And I wanted to be part of the wrestling business. And, you know, as the years went on, sometimes people would contact me for podcasts and they'd go, oh, I grew up reading your stuff, which is great, but I don't want to be a nostalgia act either. So, you know, I wanted to have something current so people could, you know, hear my name and say, oh, yeah, I just read his book or I just read his column in Inside the Ropes magazine. And that, that's what that book represented to me in some ways. It was almost me uh, putting my flag down and saying, Keith Elliott Greenberg is part of the current scene. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's one thing I'm glad you mentioned you wanted to write it kind of from a fan standpoint, since you are a fan. That's something that connected with me right away. I'm like, this guy loves wrestling just like I do. Right. And that's very important. And, you know, the, you know, I grew, I'm 62 years old. So I grew up in an era when, um, you know, sometimes being a wrestling fan was a cause of embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wrestling was not considered a real sport. And, you know, I remember teachers telling me, I remember a teacher telling me in eighth grade, you know, Ernie the Cat Lad used to be a great football player and everyone admired him and now he's a clown. And, um, you know, there was, I guess to some, there was a shame in being a wrestling fan. I have a very good friend, uh, David Kuman, who I, I met him when, um, you know, our kids were in kindergarten together. And he said, you know, I've been watching wrestling my whole life. And um, you, you were my first wrestling friend. So basically, he's been a closet wrestling fan his entire life. His wife didn't even know the degree to which he was a wrestling fan. <laughs> But you know what? There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a wonderful pastime and it's given mm-hmm. people joy and it gives us joy and it's giving both of us joy right now just to be talking about it. And, you know, I wanted to say that I'm a wrestling fan. I And this book gave me a reason to remain a wrestling fan and not just complain about, oh, I remember back in the day. Oh, it's not like, you know, Pedro Morales against <laughs> Sam Stasiak. You know, or it's not like The Rock against Stone Cold. It's like, mm-hmm. this is what's going on now. And I'm digging it and I'm excited about it. Yeah, I, I learned so much from this book. I mean, I love reading about current stars, indie stars, but when they're in different promotions a couple of years yeah. ago. Some of those and stories course, I had no idea about. Now we look at the book and, you know, you look at some of the people in the book and they've evolved into bigger stars. Absolutely. And yep. it's it's a strange thing because, you know, I was backstage doing research at an um, an MLW show. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it was limited about, you know, as to who I could talk to. And Sammy Guevara kept looking at me, like trying to make eye contact with me. This is before AEW. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. But there's Davey Boy Smith Jr. And there's Teddy Hart. And there's mm-hmm. Brian Pillman Jr. You know, and I have to get to all these guys first. And... Um, then I was looking around for Sammy Guevara and I didn't see him. And of course, that was one of my regrets. Wow, I wish <laughs> I had, you know, found uh, Sammy Guevara before before the night was over. Yeah, yeah. Now, now look at the star Sammy's blown up to be and and is going to become. I think I think we still haven't seen near. Oh, we have. He hasn't even gotten started, started yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So exciting to watch. Um, One thing throughout the book I was reading, there was a lot of names throughout the book that got brought up this past year in the, in the speaking out movement. But I was personally glad that you still kept them in the book because I think there are stories that couldn't have been told without those individuals in there. Yeah. And that became a topic of discussion. Um, And I actually addressed that in my next book because that was uh, actually, um, I, some people m- might uh, might even cate- categorize that as a criticism of the book. They're like, wow, it was kind of a bummer to see all those names in there. And, um, you know, I by the time the book was complete, um, the, you know, the book was complete. I think the book was even printed, but we were still picking out photos. And um, suddenly speaking out just started. And the uh, people at ECW Press said, should we take some of those photos out? 
And I said, you know, these people were part of indie wrestling history. And, you know, and I interviewed some of these people, mm -hmm. you know, for the book. And I don't really want to take that, you know, rewrite history and pretend that history transpired without them in it. It's this, it would be the same as ignoring the existence of Chris Benoit. And that does not in any way condone the, you know, unspeakable crime that Chris Benoit committed and, you know, and the mental problems he obviously was struggling with. So let's hear Joey Ryan's voice. Um, you know, let's hear David Starr's voice. That doesn't mean I'm saying these guys are great and I um and and you know the 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 women are making all of this up. And, and in my next book, um I uh you know I, I address that and I also and I talk about speaking out. Now I did not I'm I'm not mentioning every single accusation in the book sure. for the simple reason that. Some people who are accused are trying to get on with their lives and nothing has been adjudicated. But the um, the major cases in which people defended themselves, those are being acknowledged. And I also am making it a, a point not to mention any of the women by name. You know, and as I've mentioned, I've written true crime books. I've also worked. I also work on, uh, as a TV producer. And when I interview special victims detectives, they don't mention any of the accusers. And so I'm treating all of these women as, uh, you know, sp special victims. And uh, whether you say they're gold diggers or they're attention starved or not, I don't want to put their names in a book. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to protect them at the very least that way. No, I think that's... Uh... The, a very respectful thing to do. I, mm -hmm. I just think I think that's the right right way to go personally. So, but it, but it's an important conversation, and obviously, <laughs> the wrestling business, like the rest of society, has always been misogynistic and racist. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. it's a it's a discussion that needs to be had. It's an mm -hmm. important conversation. Uh, one thing I, I want to bring up before I forget earlier, you talked about the Randy Randy Savage documentary on A and E. Ha, have you gotten a chance to watch all the A and E documentaries so far? Um, I haven't watched Booker T yet. I'm in the Roddy Piper documentary, and um, uh, I watched the Randy Savage documentary, and I'm catching up with uh, Dark Side of the Ring at the same time. Yes. In fact, I just watched the Nick Gage. Oh, uh, I, I watched it yesterday. Yeah, I watched it this morning. Yeah, that was uh, I. I, I'm I'm kind of fan of I don't know a ton about the death match wrestling, so I learned a lot and whew, that's a whole nother world. It's a whole other world. And you know what I've been doing is I um I always because I cover so much in Too Sweet Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution, my big fear is always that I will have missed something or gotten an important fact wrong. And when I was watching the Nick Gage uh, documentary, I was thinking, okay, I covered this in, in the book. I, you know, interviewed Nick Gage and I spoke to Nick Gage and other people about the David Arquette match. Did I get it right? And that's what I was nervous about. And apparently the facts were consistent. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the same thing that when the Young Bucks uh, autobiography came out. I was worried now, you know, I'm talking about the indie wrestling revolution and how the young bucks have played a major role in that. Is there going to be something in that book that I just missed? And, you know, it didn't seem like I did. So, so far, 
I mean, something else could come up, but so far, I think that people will call it fairly accurate. Yeah, I I, I read I read and own Killing the Business uh, myself, and I thought the facts were pretty much um, aligned. Yeah, aligned. Thank you. So, yeah, I thought I thought they were both great books. Um, one thing in the book, I loved how you compared All In to your experience at WrestleMania One. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, no, it wasn't All In. It was. Um, it was the G1 Supercard. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Excuse me. You're it was right. the G1 Supercard. It felt like the beginning of something. Yes. Now, yeah. We don't know what, you know, uh, what that will become because we had the pandemic in between. We also don't know what the relationships will be because, you know, the G1 Supercard was Ring of Honor and New Japan. And, uh, you know, now we see New Japan working with AEW. Um I don't know if New Japan and Ring of Honor will be working together. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. We don't know who AEW is going to work with. Are they going to work with Ring of Honor eventually? I mean, I don't know what, you know, what goes on at a business level. But just to see an alternative promotion uh, hold a show in Madison Square Garden and the uh, IWGP title change hands not just on U.S. soil, but in Madison Square Garden with all that history, really felt like something special, and that's why it felt like the first WrestleMania. Well, I thought it was fascinating, too, how Madison Square Garden was feeling the pressure a little bit from WWE, being that's that's been their home for how many ever years? Right, because I think it was it was the early 1960s. I mean, I have the book over here. Mm-hmm. It was the early 1960s when... Uh, somebody other than the uh, McMahon family staged a, a wrestling show in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and, and hopefully it's not the last. Uh, yeah, hopefully we see yeah. I mean, look, competition's good, mm-hmm. and it has everybody, you know, motivates everybody to step up their game, as we know. Uh, one thing, uh, speaking of All In, um, if Dave Meltzer doesn't make that kind of challenge, I guess we could say that Cody accepts that another North American promotion outside WWE couldn't sell out a 10,000 seat venue. What do you, th- where do you think we're at today? Do you think you know, that, that's a great question? And I haven't been asked that or even thought about it until, until you just brought that up. Um, you know, I would like to think that Cody had some grand ideas kicking around mm-hmm. Um, but you know that uh, certainly Dave Meltzer, whose contributions to the business, you know, will linger long after Dave Meltzer is gone. Uh, but you know, c- certainly Dave Meltzer was a motivator over there, and there were also other things aligning. Uh, there were people's contracts expiring. You know, there was the availability of Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so a lot seemed to happen at the same time. I also just think that we've never had a promoter that had the resources and the contacts in media and the television industry that we had when uh, when Tony Khan got involved. And that just also happened to happen when all these contracts became available. So um, it was a lot of fortuitous events. Uh, happening at the same time. And that includes Dave Meltzer issuing the challenge to Cody Rhodes. Absolutely. The stars just kind of aligned. Everything worked out. Yeah. Uh, um, One, one thing, uh, lost my train of thought there. Uh, One thing about this book, how'd you come up with the concept of the cover? Um, That was my concept actually. And, you know, I didn't want to get sued. So we couldn't do a, um, 
a complete ripoff of the Bullet Club shirt. Mm -hmm. But since uh, the Bullet Club was my inspiration to even write the book in the first place, I thought rather than a cover that would feature pictures of a bunch of wrestlers, let's use that same kind of image, the black and white image, you know, the black background with the white letters that people affiliate with the Bullet Club. Instead of a skeleton, I thought, let's do a traditional lucha mask. And, you know, instead of, um, you know, military stripes, let's do turnbuckles. And, um, you know, and, you know, the cross muskets are, uh, you know, wrestling war. And that was where the concept came from. And, you know, I pitched that idea to ECW Press. And initially, they weren't quite sure. But they did put their art department on it. And we went back and forth. And at first, I'm like, ah, this isn't working. And they're like, I don't know. Maybe we should do something else. And we kept going in. And finally, there was this agreement. We're getting it now. Now we're feeling it. Yeah, I think it fits perfectly. Like you said, you could, as a wrestling fan, you can look at it and, and tell it's something about the Bullet Club a little bit or featuring the Bullet Club just by looking at it. And then the Lucha mask reminds me of Pentagon right away. Yeah, and then and then and then the uh, muskets even remind me of Hangman Page a little bit. So. Yeah, it's great, right? I didn't think yeah. of that, but that's great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one one thing I meant to ask you a few minutes ago, and it just came across my mind is when you were doing your interviews and everything for this book, and the contracts were coming up for Cody, the Young Bucks, even Kenny Omega, and a lot of these guys that were so much a part of New Japan and Ring of Honor. Did you get the sense backstage that? there was a frustration among other talents or even management that these guys are probably leaving. Well, you know, as, as you know, because in the book, I was at final battle at the end of Mm -hmm. 2018 uh, when, um, you know, the bucks and Cody and SCU were, were all departing ring Mm -hmm. of honor. That was their final show. And, you know, I wasn't really clued in, like, had I not known what was happening, I would have just thought I was backstage at a regular wrestling show. I mean, at one point I said, I explained to Cody what I was doing. And he said, wait till you see what happens tonight. Um, Hangman Page was also, was his last night at Ring of Honor. Um, But uh, so I didn't feel the tension, but that doesn't mean there wasn't the tension. It's just that people didn't know me well enough to, you know, pull me to the side and say, hey, man, there's a lot of tension here. You know, and I saw, you know, uh, the people who worked at Ring of Honor, the COO, Joe Coff, was, you know, by the ring when everybody was going through their matches and seemed to be chatting very amiably with the talent. And so, you know, I wouldn't have known, you know, I worked for WWE. I was on retainer for them for 22 years. When something was tense, I was clued into that and I could look at someone's face and I could see a change in expression. But I wasn't around. I had not been around these guys enough to really read that in the same way. Interesting. Yeah, that's something I was just really curious about. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Now uh, we kind of mentioned earlier, double or nothing's coming up on May thirtieth. Do you have plans to be in Jacksonville? Uh, no, I probably won't be in Jacksonville yeah. for that. I, I'll, I'll, but um, I'll, uh, you know, either watch it at home or maybe because so many of my friends have been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'll get together with a few of those guys and we'll watch it together. Are there any matches announced so far that you're really looking forward to watching? Um, you know, uh, 
I'm 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 not sure yet. I have to I have to really uh, delve delve into it. And in fact, you caught me unawares. Um, which, which matches are you thinking about? Um, well, so far announced, there's been a Hangman Page versus Brian Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Akari Shida versus Britt Baker for the women's title. That should be a fantastic match. Yeah, that'd be a great match. Yeah. Um, we have this presume. I, it's not officially announced, but presume it will be this week. The stadium stampede two between the right. Pinnacle and Inner Circle, which the Inner Circle lose, they have to disband forever. Well, obviously, uh, obviously, the the stadium stampede was such a success last. Yeah, absolutely, year. you know, um, you know. Clearly, I want to see another one again, and of course, they're they're under pressure to live up to it, both in terms of an exciting match. And a comedy match. Yes. There was a lot of comedy in the last one. Yes, there was. And Matt Hardy was perfect last year in that with uh, his three phases of Hardy kind of when he got dunked in that in the kind of pool of reincarnation, I guess we'll, we'll call it instead of like a right. reincarnation. But also one match I think is really intriguing is f- for the heavyweight title, the triple threat between Pac, Kenny Omega, and Orange Cassidy. Yeah, I think that's great. And here, you know, Orange Cassidy, like Darby Allen, is one of those guys that – you know, we, they were indie staples, and now they've become superstars in Absolutely. Asia. And, um, you know, does this mean I think it's too premature for a guy like Orange Cassidy to claim the title, particularly when Kenny Omega is still collecting titles? Mm-hmm. But certainly I think this is yet another chance for Orange Cassidy in particular to shine. And who knows, you know, if there are groups of people watching, maybe this is an opportunity to expose new fans to, you know, the type of character and the type of talent this guy has. Well, absolutely. And it's got to be in front of their first capacity crowd since early last March. And so I think Orange Cassie's got to get a big pop no matter what. So the new fans might be like, huh, this guy's who pretty interesting. Guy? Yeah, And of course, Pac is great and always has been. So, you know, I mean, it's it's certainly going to be a, a really good match. And look, Britt Baker, she's so much better as a heel than a baby oh, face, yes. you know? And, you know, as soon as she comes on the TV, you know, I, I put the volume up because I know it's going to be immensely entertaining. And her chemistry with um, Tony Schiavone is great. Oh, it reminds yeah. me of, you know, Hulk Hogan and Mean Gene Okerlund, just mm-hmm. the way they banter back and forth. You know, yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, they're fine. I didn't mean to cut you off. She's been saying that she's the face of the of the women's division. AEW. I can honestly make a case. She might be the face of the whole company here soon. Uh, let's hope so. Yeah. Just I, you know, not to demean anybody else. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it, it, but it's just a great thing to see women's matches being something other than a novelty. And yeah. sometimes I have to sit back and grasp that that it was in the not-too-distant past when the women would either be a throwaway match or they would be there for cheesecake purposes. Um, You know, and, you know, the concept of women main eventing was radical. And now, you know, somebody like Dr. Britt Baker, you're not looking at it and saying, like, really? A girls match? You know, she could be the face of the company at some stage. Yeah, absolutely. So it looks like it's going to be a great show. It's going to be a great card. AEW is getting back on the road in July. Looks like WWE, I've read reports, thinking about July. So it's going to be a fun next couple of months to be a wrestling fan. Yeah, fun couple of months. And also it will be interesting to see what what live events turn into. Because Mm -hmm. just as 
the Zoom meeting has become part of of our culture. Um, you know, are people now going to be summoned to their offices for an 8 a.m. staff meeting or will the Zoom meeting continue? Like have the Zoom meeting and then go in. And WWE was able to enjoy its most profitable year in the middle of COVID. They were able to sell merchandise without, you know, trucking their stuff to all these arenas. So are we going to have, you know, the same number of live events or uh, will it be a more streamlined live presentation because there are other ways to generate revenue now? Yeah, those are all good questions. We'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see how they're answered. Yeah. So, so you're working on the sequel for this book. Is there any timeline where, when we could expect to, to see uh, it'll it? It'll come out sometime in, in 2022. Okay. Um, you know, initially when I signed the contract, we didn't know what was going to happen. So I assumed I'd be finished by February. But February, you know, the uh, not everyone had been I been vaccinated yet. A lot of people mm-hmm. had not been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, WWE had not had an event with fans yet. So right now, the ending of the book will likely be WrestleMania, WrestleMania 37. Um, I'm about 220 pages in now. It'll probably be about 300 pages. And, uh, you know, where am I in my writing? I think I am at. Around September, uh, it's right before. Uh, we're also talking about real world events, so yeah. uh, where uh, uh, I'm up to the chapter where James uh, K- uh, Kamala Harris uh, passes away, while another K- Kamala Harris is being anointed to the vice presidential role. Yeah, quite a quite a uh, yeah. sequence of events that happened yeah. in 2020, to say the least. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's a bunch to cover for you. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon, Keith. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, where can people find your book, Too Sweet, inside the uh, Indie Re- Wrestling Revolution? And where can they follow you on all the social medias? Okay. If you type in Keith Elliott Greenberg, you'll find me on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Um, you know, you can go into a bookstore. I was in a Barnes and Noble in Brooklyn recently, and I saw they had two copies left. Um, you know, perhaps after this podcast, they, they, there won't be. But, you know, just go on Amazon. You know, that's where yep. uh, a lot of people seem tell me they've been getting the book. That's where I got mine, I will okay. say. So, yep. yep. Showed up on my doorstep just a couple days later. So, okay. well, well, thank you, Keith, again for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, can't wait to read the sequel to this book. Thank you. And I can't wait to come back on your show. Absolutely. Anytime.